If you're good at something, never do it for free. Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? Hey everyone, so welcome back to Kevin and the Wu-Tang Clan. And yes, this is officially crazy. I'm starting off with that tagline. Um yeah, I can't believe the Clippers ended up losing in the second round, giving up a 3-1 lead to the Denver Nuggets. And who do I have to bring on to talk about all this? Yup, Andrew Ramondi. Andrew, welcome back on. Thanks for having me, man. And I realized as you were doing the craziness thing and self-referencing the craziness thing, I always point it out in a way to kind of like draw attention to it and make fun of you in a, in a very playful way. But I'm realizing that me pointing out the craziness thing and going, well, in fact, there is craziness is as much of a, like, it's as much part of the shtick as your thing is. So it's well earned. It's well earned this time around. I mean, let's just come out and be straight with it. All of our finals picks, not only the winner, we both had the Clippers, but I picked the Bucks to get out of the East. You picked the Raptors, and they're both eliminated as well. And, you know, I have to give us some – I think we deserve some – like, it's not just like we totally messed up or something like that or, like, went off the board and took these bold things. Like, the majority of people will not predict the finals, most likely. Um so, so I, I think our NBA, NBA insider status is not provoked for those, um, for those uh, misfires. But um, anyway, it was kind of funny just to kind of get us into it vis-a-vis this, this anecdote. It was kind of funny yesterday. We were texting back and forth during, during the Miami-Boston game, which we'll talk about. And then in the Clippers game, we're texting back and forth. And uh, it was kind of funny to watch our – like to track our view on things in real time, because I think we are both rooting for the Clippers a little bit, just because of the finals predictions and stuff like that. And the LA, maybe the LA versus LA thing, we wanted to see that. So I felt like there were, like we kind of went through seven stages of grief a little bit, like at the beginning of the game, I'm texting you and being like, well, this, they don't look to be taking it that seriously. And then they kind of like, pull away and then the nuggets kind of start to in the third quarter come back and they take the lead and we're kind of like texting back and forth like what's going on what's going on and then at the end of the third quarter I was like to you should we just start rooting for the nuggets to win at this point and you said yeah and then I feel like basically when you think about it the entire fourth quarter was like this prolonged like even we'll go back and talk about the game but the whole fourth quarter was like this slow motion car crash you know what I mean it wasn't really close for most of the fourth quarter and it was just like holy shit this is happening this is happening this is happening for like 12 straight minutes of basketball basically I mean in game time um yeah so I feel like I charted out the the narrative a little bit but um I'm sure you want to get to the high level storylines and stuff but I just It'll be weird to, because we'll always look back on, I think we'll look back on this moment. It has to be one of the bit, like, you go back and think about it. I'm going to let you get to it in a second. There actually have low-key been a decent amount of weird conference finals teams in the last 
few years. You had the Blazers reaching the Western Conference Finals last year. You had that Celtics team, uh, Sons, Kyrie Irving reached the Eastern Conference Finals a couple years back, and now the Nuggets. And, of course, in the East, you could argue that you have weird teams as well. So it's not, like, as uncommon as, as I think people give it credit for, but a team like the Clippers not making the conference finals does, does feel semi-momentous. And I feel like it'll just be lost kind of how, how weird this, this whole series was. Um, and I wanted to kind of take them, especially that last game. So I um, like how much of an egg the Clippers truly laid. Um, so, so I kind of wanted to get that out of the way off the bat. Uh, so I don't know what, where you wanted to go from there, but I, I thought yeah, it was I necessary mean, to, to to kind of like to put in a time capsule the the how just how weird and confusing that it felt. Yeah, I mean, I think from my point of view, the way you described watching the fourth quarter in terms of it being a like a slow car crash where you just couldn't keep your eyes away from the game because you know you knew what was going to happen probably like I would say once they didn't make a couple shots to start the fourth with like Lou Jokic Williams on the bench. missed yeah there was yes you're right that run with Jokic on the bench like there were some missed like layups and stuff yeah yeah once that happens like you're like, the Lou Williams missing the open layup, you're like, oh, they needed that one to fall for them to kind of get things going. And then once that happened, just the wheels fell off. You could just kind of – like, it was slowly happening throughout, throughout the, I would say, the second half through the third quarter. What they were – I think they were up, like, seven or eight points at one point in the third. And then Denver's kind of slowly chipped away at the lead – and then they start, and then they kind of made that run towards the end of the third to go up, I believe, seven or eight. And you were just like, all right, this shit's going to happen. Like, it, it just was like this really slow burn and slow build to everything. And then I couldn't keep my eyes away from watching the game, talking with you, and then monitoring Twitter because yeah. of all the things that were happening. And yeah. I mean, we got some good Twitter content last night. Just like your guys, Dame yeah, and I mean, just kind of going off on that. Yeah, it kind of erased some of the pain of like the lackluster ending of the Blazers season because they were like the undisputed, like other than the Denver Nuggets themselves and maybe the Lakers, like the, the Bla- like Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, who I think was gone off that like Pinot Noir, that Willamette Valley Pinot Noir or something. Like he was just wilding out. Like he was, he was going crazy. Um, but uh, yeah, I think they were the undisputed Kings, but doesn't that like say something and we can, we can maybe, uh, we can maybe, I think just we need to attack the Clippers angle first because we've just kind of dissected them more over the course of the year. Like, doesn't it say something to you how, like, it's like everyone kind of got hit with the wave at once that it was because end of the fourth quarter, I text you kind of saying, like, should we just start rooting for the Nuggets? And maybe the first few minutes of the fourth quarter, I'm expecting some sort of comeback. But like no one seemed to have much faith in the, you know what I mean? Normally in that situation, you're kind of expecting the comeback until it doesn't until it's over. 
You know what I mean? The other game I'm thinking of, although it's not as big of a disparity, is like when UVA lost to UMBC a couple years back. Yeah. And it just yeah. like, you're like, wow, for upsets are usually like kind of dramatic and close, whereas this was like a prolonged beatdown or whatever. And that's what like CJ McCallum, CJ McCollum's joking about Cancun and stuff like that. And there's still seven minutes to go in the, in the fourth quarter. Um, so I wanted to kind of, I wanted to start with this kind of observation and, and maybe we can go from there um, about the Clippers. Cause I think it'll allow us to kind of discuss, discuss the major players a lot. You know, they were up at various points in in the game. You pointed out them being up in the third quarter until the, 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 the Nuggets started to make a run. And I think talking about that, we'll talk about what the Nuggets did. But early on in the game and like really throughout this really throughout this whole playoffs when you when you go back and look at everything, I, I guess it's not completely fair because the the Mavs games had some shootout games, but like throughout the playoffs and even throughout this whole season, really, you never felt like the Clippers knew what their identity was offensively. And, and I think that you saw that, especially on display in that, in, in the game seven, because like they're up and stuff and they just don't, they can't step on anyone's throat. And I think it's in part because like, they just didn't have like that move to go to like they were they were doing it so much by committee throughout throughout the season and like there are moments where where they'll shine or a certain guy'll start going off or they'll get hot from three but like i think they couldn't like just say like all right we're rolling with like x thing and the thing that i i that would come to mind for you. And I think we, we I will kind of want to save Kawhi because I think he's the most interesting person to talk about, but I think your mind would say like, it's Kawhi Leonard just like doing his thing. And in fact, it kind of, I said to you around halftime or something like, I think Kawhi should be shooting more. And he did shoot more in the second half, but just, but just didn't have it. Um, and you just, I don't know. It just was like, this kind of slow realization that like this team that we just, that did well and, you know, in the regular season and, and look like they had all the pieces just, just was missing something. And what did you, what did you kind of feel like that something was? Yeah. And I think like, if you want to make the direct contrast to maybe someone like LeBron and the Lakers, and or even like just the team that they were playing against the Nuggets, like the, you knew what the Nuggets' bread and butter was. It was Murray, yeah. Jokic, pick and roll, give it, give it, like let Murray ha- make the decision to either pass it on the roll, and then Jokic is amazing at at as that yeah. like just him in the post the kicking it out to people. Yeah, right. Yeah, and he he can like swing it across the floor do all those things and I think you pointed at what the Clippers really struggled with this year is I still don't really know what their go-to go-to like bread and butter play was is it give it to Kawhi let him operate from the mid-range and he he kind of like does like that turnaround jumper towards the baseline like that while he was good at it, it's just not 
that efficient in the long run. And when things are struggling, like when they were struggling in the way they were yesterday, couldn't make any shots at all. Like no, none of this was falling. You have to go to the rim. Like at least yeah. go, like when I, I was talking with my brother actually and texting him throughout the game too. And his question was, Kev, you know more about basketball than I do, but why aren't, why isn't Kawhi like taking his defender off the dribble and just going to the rim? It's not like Jokic is that intimidating of a inside mm. presence that like he's not like prime Dwight Howard um, defensively where he's swatting away shots and this or, or Rudy Gobert or someone like that. He's someone that's like somewhat smart he's gotten better defensively and throughout the playoffs but it's not like they've been like one of these teams that have been so solid defensively and I was just like yeah I'm not exactly sure why they're not doing it just seemed like they were settling for some mid-range shots and granted they just missed some shots like they were not hitting from three like the gold yeah, yes, sorry, and in contrast, no, no, and I wanted to just point out that in contrast, it should, it'll kind of also be forgotten, but the Nuggets were absolutely lights out from, from three in, in that game, um, and, and, you know, that factors into things, but at the end of the day, I, I was saying to you, this is kind of a dunked on phrase that I'm aping, but like the process of the Nuggets, and it goes back to what you were saying before, was, was so much better because they are able to kind of get those shots in the, in the flow of the offense. And like a guy like Jeremy Grant, yes, there are going to be some nights where he's ice cold from three or whatever, but you feel a lot more better about him taking a shot, you know, fairly wide open off, off of Jokic making a pass from, from the post or the elbow, as opposed to like Marcus Morris, just like having to go one-on-one and fling up some crap because like, uh because that because clippers basically yeah and i think i mean we could kind of go in so many different directions but i would like to focus on yeah go go ahead ask your question no i was gonna i was gonna just i was gonna just ask did you feel like the clippers knew what their best lineup was like against this team no no and that's uh and that's an interesting if you want to make the case all along, kind of, um, I because I was I was texting with another another friend, my friend Ryan, who's like a little bit more of a casual NBA guy, but but kind of ramps up more during the playoffs. And we were kind of having this thing about he was talking about like the Nuggets are going to get smacked by the Lakers now and blah blah blah. And I was starting to do this revisionist thing where I was like, well. The Clippers wouldn't have, based on what the Clippers are doing, they weren't going to have much of a chance too. And that's around, and whether that's true or not, I'm not sure. But the five spot, it obviously was a huge problem for them. I, I think Montrez Harrell is obviously a great guy at what he does. You know what I mean? Like he's great mm-hmm. as like an energy guy, and he made that bench lineup effective, and he contributed to their depth. But, like, when you put him out there with, like, when you put him out there with those other guys as part of a closing lineup, like, what do you have, like, what role does he serve when the other guys on the court are, like, Kawhi, 
PG, Marcus Morris, and like you could argue that they didn't know who the other guy should be too. They didn't really know yeah. whether it should be Shamit. They didn't know whether it should be Lou Williams. I mean, they tried Reggie Jackson. For, they went back to Reggie Jackson in Game Seven after he was like god awful in the Mavs series, basically. Um, and those other two guys, it was like, what function do they serve? Like. Trez isn't really that much of a rim protector outside of transition. He's not much offensively like, yes, he gets rebounds and stuff, but like most centers do. Um, And I think that kind of plays into things because like, uh, honestly, they were probably missing in, in, Oh, and the other guys, like you could go, um, you could go Marcus Morris at the five, obviously. And they tried that out at various points. But then you're just committing yourself to get to getting thrashed by by Jokic basically. And if you want to make the revisionist point um, on the Clippers, you could say that this would have happened with Anthony Davis next round anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so so at that, when two out of the five guys in your lineup like are basically functionally useless offensively like the the point I was making was like you kind of would have I think for next year and we'll we'll get there eventually too maybe you look more at and it's not like a ton of them exist but you look more at a guy who can like you're almost looking at a guy like Maxi Kleber in 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 uh Dallas like the mold there where like play decent post defense and like space the floor kind of thing like you run pick and pop with with uh Kawhi or uh, PG instead. Um, but kind of getting beyond that, like, I think Paul George needs to be, like, I do want to talk about the Kawhi thing. And he, like, what is there said to say about Paul George other than, like, he was really bad and had been really bad in most of the playoffs? Because when you were talking about the getting to the rim thing, Kawhi's game has never really been getting to the rim, in my opinion. So I don't think like asking him to like, like you can have him run pick and roll stuff like, but asking him to like put his head down and get to the rim isn't really what he does. He kind of just gets to his spots in the mid range and, and does stuff there. But Paul George is the guy you, you to me would ask to try and get to the rim and, and make more plays. But like, and you heard a lot of the, you heard a lot of uh, Clippers players, you brought this up to me in the post game, talking about chemistry and stuff like that. And to some extent, that probably has to do with what you were going towards, what you were talking about as well with like, who were the closing lineups that like in the regular season, having this glut of guys is to your advantage, but it hurts when you get to those game seven type scenarios where you really got need guys to just know your role, know their roles and do their jobs. I wonder if another function of the, of the Clippers problem as it pertains to both Paul George and Kawhi was like, it, I was thinking a lot about the early, uh, I was thinking a lot about the first year of the Miami Heat um, when they lost to the Mavericks. And, like, you just saw that, like, D-Wade and LeBron not comparing them to PG and uh, and Kawhi at all, just saying you have two, like, top ten players. Like, they hadn't quite figured out how to play with each other other than, like, a my turn, your turn type thing. And it felt like shades of that. As in, as you saw these playoffs unfold, what do you what do you think of that idea? And what did you? And I mean, what is there to say about 
Paul George. I don't, I don't yeah. quite know. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the moment that seared into my mind is when he clanks that three off yeah. the backboard. And I mean, a great Twitter moment. Three. A great oh. Twitter moment. I don't know if you saw. Yeah. It was like that old Gatorade commercial where he's like, no OT tonight. And yeah. game. Yeah. And it pauses in game. And then it's just him clanking it off the side of the backboard. I mean, yeah, man. It's, no, how that, do you do this without being sports narrative But like him in the playoffs seems like a, a thing. Like, it seems like he tightens up in these in these big playoff games. And which is, to me, like, thinking back, like, if you went early on in his career when he was going head-to-head yeah. with LeBron and, yeah. like, when he was in, in, yeah, he in was, Indiana, he was agreed. going toe-to-toe agreed. with those guys. Agreed. And it's, it's baffling to me that he's kind of rever- reverted into this shell of a player when he gets when he gets like is the second banana we've seen it in OKC where he kind of where Westbrook was this dominant figure and he just well I, I think that's not completely fair because even last year in OKC during the regular season, he was incredible. Oh, he was amazing. But, but was amazing. But, but I, off, but I, I get. I still agree. I still agree with your overall point. I still agree with your overall point. Keep going. It's. It, I guess it's to me. It's very vexing because you're. He he's such. He was such a. He went toe to toe with LeBron going to Game Seven in the Eastern Conference Finals when he was with the Pacers. But it just seemed like even that Pacers team they had. They knew their roles. Lance Stephens knew what to do against LeBron. Like Roy Hibbert, he was, I mean, can't believe yeah. I'm bringing his name up in this podcast, but he knew rim protection. Like compared to what the Clippers did in this, and and I think the the text that I sent you yesterday about, oh, are you listening to these press conferences after the game? Because a lot of it seemed very like, very just like we didn't have great direction. We didn't understand yeah. what our roles were. Um, we needed to develop our chemistry. Like the chemistry thing to me is sure that's like that's warranted and all those things. But I don't think a lot of people would have been talking about chemistry when they were up 3-1 against the Nuggets five yeah. days ago. And that's... Yeah. That's why it's really hard. It must be well, that's something also just else. Such a, that's such a hallmark of a Doc Rivers-led team also with all the uh, post-facto excuses and stuff like that, that I, I think you could make an argument that, like, he is just – I mean, besides the fact that his teams have blown – he's like that – he's been the coach of, like, three of the, like, last five teams to blow 3-1 leads or whatever, um, that, like – isn't there kind of a running theme now with like this team and like the last Clippers team that was held by Doc Rivers of like these problems kind of arising over and over again? And I think the personalities involved have to be um, have to be blamed somewhat. But it seems it's weird that that. And I want to get to the personalities of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and how they might factor into this as well because I I sort of have a theory on it. But I, I just wanted to point that out as well that like. For a guy who's known as such a player's coach or whatever, there seems to be this recurring problem with with teams he coaches that, like, 
he's not able to really put an imprint on uh, like a philosophical imprint on his team. And I would argue that like, especially with Kawhi Leonard and I'm stepping on a point I'm going to make because he's not as much of a, generally the, the best player on your team is the central force and they kind of dictate your ethos to some extent, but he's more of kind of a blank slate. And when you think about his two coaches, the years he won championships, they were Nick nurse and Greg Popovich who were guys who had a very defined system and very defined roles for their guys and kind of was they are able to um, are able to maybe like fill in some of the gaps when, when your players aren't necessarily equipped to, to, um, to, I guess, make the chemistry happen on their own. So I, I wanted to point that out as well. Keep, keep going, man. I'm sorry. No, no, I, I think that's like an interesting way to think about it. And I'm what I'm thinking about was kind of like the Raptors run last year when Kawhi was on that team. Yeah, and, I've been you know, thinking about to, this a lot. They get, they, they get to that pivotal game seven against uh, the Philadelphia 76ers and Kawhi goes nuts. But it's not like he ends up shooting. I pulled up a box score while we were talking yeah. for that game. He shot the ball 39 times that game. Wow. So, like, yeah. it's not he, – he has that in him, and he has – and it's not like Nick he, – he was restricted by Nick Nurse's system, and I don't think that's what you're saying necessarily. But I think – and, like, even in this system, it's like like where you think Doc's this player's coach, like you get, players are kind of given the freedom to – take the responsibility to shoot it when they want almost and and kind of go one-on-one when they want to. We've seen this from Kawhi last year, as early as last year, albeit on a different team with different supporting cast and all that. So I think that's why, and I think you, you summarized it well in terms of what Kawhi's personality is like on the court and off the court in terms of being this being this guy that's able to blend into a lot of different teams and situations that's why a lot of players would love playing with Kawhi because he does a lot of these different things that maybe like the first banana on like like a lead dog on like a championship contender team wouldn't necessarily want to do if that makes sense. Yeah. Like No, it, it's yeah. It's funny and, that you bring that up. Yeah, keep going, keep going. I'm sorry. I thought like it, and the thing is it's not the it's hard for me to think like Kawhi's not this lead lead uh like character slash leader um player that can carry this team because he's kind of shown it with the Raptors last year. But when you think about that team with the Raptors, it didn't ever feel like Kawhi's team in that it like he was the one that was, I guess, vocally getting the guys up to like play yeah. the game. No, or like, yes, like he yes. was. What am I trying to say? That's exactly. No, that's he's not the heartbeat of the team. Exactly. That's the exact 
Evan, that was the exact point I was trying to make the Nick with the Nick Nurse thing, because you are right in the because it's a weird duality. I've been thinking about Kawhi a lot because the thing is with PG, it's fun to like basically slander him, like make fun of him, and like, but it's much clearer what happened in this circumstance. Like you were exactly right about the OKC thing. I felt the same way, and it's like he's struggling in this like one B role very much. And then you, so you're like, okay, that, that makes sense. And you can also turn to like certain Clippers guys like Marcus Morris or Montrez Harrell and be like, they didn't play well and like, whatever. The Kawhi thing is fascinating to me because it's deeper. Like the easiest thing to do in this scenario is to like, basically just give him the pass. Right. And that's what it seems like the route a lot. Like he's a two X champion. He's a two X finals MVP. He's an undisputed top probably four top three player in the league, just in terms of like, who do you want to start your franchise, you know, and all that stuff. And, and he's, you're right about that. Like because of his style, it's easy to think of him as like almost offensively passive, but last year in that Raptors run, he did have his moments where he just took over games. But um, that and that, but that point you're making about the heart and soul is exactly what I was trying to get at with my Nick Nurse Popovich thing. And I think you summed it up eloquently. But the other thing I want to point out, and like the thing you, can, I feel like you can fault him for if you're going to fault him for something like those rat that Raptors team for the Spurs thing's a little different because he was like kind of simultaneous like he wasn't even quite the number one guy on that Spurs team he was kind of like ascending as the other guys were descending and they kind of ended up all on the same level whereas the Raptors thing like he's number one and everyone else is like just like Kyle Lowry was two Marcus all two you know whatever like whereas this is more of like a 1a 1b type scenario and that is a different challenge you know what I mean like that is a yeah. different animal and figuring out how to split those split that workload and like make it work is, is a different challenge that comes with a, with more massaging because there are more egos, you know what I mean? Or it, mm-hmm. let's forget egos, but you know what I mean? It's much easier if like one guy is number one and everyone else just has to fall in line behind that guy. Right. Cause the thing about the Raptors that was cool is like, he didn't have to do it every night per se, but when what you saw in those Raptors, those pivotal moments, like that game seven was like, he could, once it was his time, like he, you knew that that was, what was happening and he was he had had those reps in that experience where he could pull that out of his bag the thing I couldn't help but wonder was like last night when he tries to go to that mode and fails for lack of a better word is it from all of that year-long hesitancy tendency uh hesitancy slash tendency to like kind of be like all right, am I supposed to be carrying the load here? Is Paul George supposed to be carrying the load? Should I be deferring to him? Should I be, you know, getting him involved, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think at some point, like, if you want to point out Kawhi's biggest weakness as a basketball player from, like, now looking at his years of kind of career, it's that – and not that he like has any sort of personality defect or something, but like 
the problem is he's fucking weird and you don't can't understand <laughs> you know what i mean like he's not easy to i i presume that like he he's not easy to play with quote unquote if you're a in that situation where the roles aren't as defined because he's not providing you with the uh he's not providing you with anything to go off of either so if the coach isn't giving it to you if the system isn't giving it to you you're kind of adrift and they looked like a team that was adrift in including Kawhi Leonard himself you know yeah. so and and yeah. that was that was I was just thinking about the compare and contrast with with the Raptors a lot because the Clippers were ostensibly a more they they were I don't know if they were more talented but they were more top heavy is kind of the point I yeah, was making no, and it seemed sense. like he was less the the overall point after kind of that rambling was like him on a top heavy team is a different challenge than what he'd done in the past and I feel like the failures of him whatever they were and the failures in that series can be traced back to to their inability to figure out how to make that work. Yeah, and I think the big thing that was shocking about last night is we haven't really seen this out of Kawhi. This is like his first big like dud in yeah, a big spot. That's true. And yeah, that's true. I think I think that's where it was so shocking and you kind of saw all the talking heads, especially Stephen A. Smith, like, you know, crucifying Max Kellerman about like his takes on Kawhi being more clutch than Kobe and all these things um, in years past. It's because Kawhi hadn't shown any of that until last night where he struggled from the field shooting six for like, it just, it almost came out of nowhere that, and I think that's where there was this passiveness going into game seven. I, I you kind of saw it the way they started out too, um, where, a lot of the players just seem like, all right, we got this, we got this, because it because Kawhi had never shown in the past that yeah. he had had it. Like that's where that's where like the Paul George thing narrative isn't as like fun to really talk about because we've already come to see what he's done in certain spots. Like we've seen that from him in previous seasons and. Why, and 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 his struggles in some ways in the playoffs at times can bubble up, but the Kawhi thing had never bubbled up before. His struggles had bubbled up before, so when we saw it last night, we we're just like, "This is not the Kawhi we know." And then it makes us reevaluate everything that we think about Kawhi Leonard because this is the new side of him that we hadn't. Well, well, so we the, think it's all fool's gold to tie that back to the point i was making before and it was something i was thinking about but forgot to bring up i think the cool calm demeanor like it's in we're getting very talking head for what we do on our show generally but i just find the psychology kind of slash chemistry aspects fascinating just because it's just because Kawhi is more it, he's harder to dissect than your average NBA superstar in terms of what their personality type is. But you could argue that like teams generally follow the personality of their leader 
Um, and that Cole Coom demeanor, if that's your guy and you're looking to your guy for, you know, for direction, as it were, you're going to come out calm and cool as well. Like, contrast that with the Raptors thing again. We're sure Kawhi's calm, cool, and collected. But then who's your number two de facto? It's Kyle Lowry, and that's a guy who plays really hard and is going to be out there taking charges and, and doing all this stuff, right? Whereas for the Clippers, it's like, all right, let's look to our second banana. It's Paul George, who, as you explained with the Westbrook thing, and, you know, so so forth. Even you want to go back to those Pacers days. Like, yes, he's he's carrying the load, but who do you think is your number two there? I think of Lance Stevenson in those Miami series being kind of a spark plug type guy who's going to really do basically a guy to do the yelling and, and energy for you. And then you look at the Clippers and it was like the top two guys are both not that kind of person. You know what I mean? Is that always a, like, listen, do you always need that? I, I doubt it. You could argue that the Spurs, like, actually defeat my theory somewhat although i'd argue that once again popovich is the guy who who provides that for for a team like that like no i don't think you necessarily always need that but when the fit like you made the great point with quiet i think that's kind of the when the failures do happen you you start the things that look super like strengths or whatever kind of you start to see the cracks in the armor a little yeah, and I think that's where people are so, I think, a little confused on what to do with this thing with Kawhi. Because I think some people, like, you, like you're like you saying, can, could kind of chalk it up and be like, that was just a bad game, and he's going to move on, and they'll be fine next year. They'll be competing. But... So what do you what do you think there? What do you what do you I, think I mean, about? Because I feel like we need to we need to right. talk about Let's, the fourteen that won the series. But do you right, think right. this is a problem going into next year with these guys on? This could theoretically be coming up the last year of their contracts, and they yeah, yeah. you know the push the pedal is going to really hit the metal here. So so when push comes to shove, are you? Are you chalking this up to a, a well bad, growing pains, bad, bad game, and moving on, or are you are are you sensing some sort of deeper problem? Um, it's weird because I think I see both sides of it, and it's I'm I feel like I'm doing this cop out answer thing where sure, like the bubble has been strange, so I you can kind of write off this season as what like a weird like season but in 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 that big spot right there that can have ramifications for the future and you kind of talked about like the long-term future of the Clippers isn't so much long-term with Paul George Kawhi both being on uh basically they'll have player options in 2021 and to 2022 so they have one more year left before they decide on what else to do, whether to re-up again. But this year, they're losing Mark, Marcus Morris is coming off the books. Trez is coming off the books. So those are two important guys that were in their rotation this year. And I wonder what it is that they decide to do with them in terms of whether or not they bring them back or they kind of start making these tough decisions on 
oh, we can live without that player. We can live without this guy. Because then the rotation gets shorter or smaller and smaller, and maybe that can actually work in their benefit because then they can actually have defined roles uh, for some of these guys. And maybe and like you're talking about, it seems like they have to upgrade that five spot. Like I think Zubac is a serviceable guy in the grand scheme of things, but in a game seven, do you really want him out there against? Jokic or maybe you just chalk this up to real like a bad matchup and that it just they got screwed the shot making was really good by Denver um do you one of the questions that I did want to pose as they kind of move into the offseason and all this stuff and about like there's going to be so much Clippers turmoil uh with the next season starting I mean is there any validity to Doc just like not coming back or is he definitely coming back I mean it's kind of interesting like in this in this super pivot or like in this not pivot wasn't the right word to say but like this it's all sudden you know like all of this is real you're kind of having to try and now figure these things out on the fly because no one expected it to happen you know what I mean so um it's hard to then try and give a cogent answer, but I think based on the argument, like as I'm putting it all together, I think based on the arguments I was making, the answer would be yes. Right. But the problem Mm. is, is there actually another guy out there? Because I think the argument would be like, okay, you kind of tried it the one year of just like letting the cream up rise to the, to the top and like hoping that would carry the day, you know, um, I'm saying, you know, and I'm telling you to keep going a lot in this podcast. But um, I think based on what I was saying about kind of the lack of personality and the lack of an overall philosophy, the argument that could be made that like, all right, let's get Doc out of here. Uh, All due respect, great coach, but let's get Doc out of here and try and bring in a guy who's going to Remember, throughout the regular season, this team kind of underperformed defensively compared to what it was expected they would they would do. Um, and like you know, the regular season was was good and stuff like that. And you had load management with client stuff, but you didn't feel like they had a lot of going into the season. I think it was like thought like they're really going to be managing things, and you know that front office is going to really you know keep an eye on things and stuff. But it felt. It feels kind of when you look back on it that they were flying by the seat of their pants. So I think the argument would be like, let's bring a guy who's going to now organize this talent around some sort of philosophy as opposed to just kind of viewing the more player's coach style. Especially because, once again, if you're a player's coach and your team has chemistry issues – that seems problematic in my eyes. I think the question that fo- always naturally follows from that would be like, well, who is that guy? And I don't know. So certain, so, so setting that aside, like certain things, when I was saying that thing about, I've been thinking about that year one heat comparison a lot. And I think uh, sometimes it's important to remember that yes, occasionally these teams ascend out of nowhere and come from, and you know, they, they immediately make it work. And then sometimes there, there is that growing pain. There is those growing pains or there is that one slip up in the beginning. So I think there's an argument to be made for just kind of running it back and, and hoping that with more time, 
Um, because you made the point about some of those fringe players. Well, not they aren't fringe players. I mean, they are important, but I, I presume they'll be able to bring those guys back if, if they want or any adjustments they make will, will be mostly – they won't be doing anything super duper major, although I certainly could be proven wrong there. But the argument would be made that you kind of just bring it back and chalk this one up to to a failure and and move on. But but it is funny. I think like it's if this had happened to the Lakers, you know what I mean? There's oh, no yeah. fucking way in hell I would be saying that. You know, and it yeah. just kind of goes <laughs> to show about like how LeBron, I think, just changes the narrative so much. And that's kind of why I think we're scrambling in these moments to try and figure out a narrative for Kawhi because it's not quite – we're not quite sure what that is. Um, So, yeah, kind of overall, I I feel the same way as you where, like, it's it's frankly hard to – it's hard to say. Yeah, and and I think one of the – one of the things that I wanted to mention before we kind of move on and maybe talk about the Nuggets is it seems like if you just look at the moves that they made throughout this season in terms of who they picked up, like in a vacuum, those players are decent players. And in the aggregate, you would think, oh, if you add that guy's talent to the team, that team's going to their their potential is going to go up because that talent is pretty decent and pretty solid. If added to the pot, it's going to basically raise the, raise the expectations or the potential of the team. And my question is whether or not the front office was, was tied to what the coaching staff wants to do with the team. So like, even bringing in someone like Marcus Morris and bringing in someone like Reggie Jackson and trying to integrate all these guys and Reggie Jackson, while like he got basically benched throughout the playoffs, he was taking minutes away from certain guys. Um, Marcus Morris, like mid season acquisition. He's one of those guys that while talented, was he overall a a net positive for them or was it like something they could have ultimately done without because then there was even more confusion thrown into to the middle of the pile and that those are the hard questions as an NBA GM that I don't know how to answer Um, but I think those kind of raise some interesting points there as to whether or not it's so easy and and I mean the Miami Heat, you know, teams prove that talent isn't just everything in terms of like throwing it against the wall and seeing what sticks, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And the argument that kind of the anti Clippers argument that we that you can have just a bunch of guys or you can have those kind of deeper, more peripheral pieces all playing in big playoff games and making it work. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. So let's move on to the Nuggets. I mean, like that we definitely needed to talk about and get out of the way because, man, I mean, I, I can't wait to see what happens next season with with uh, the Clippers and, you know, the twists and turns. Obviously, Ballmer's going to be motivated to spend a ton of money and he's willing to spend being the richest owner. But, I mean, the Nuggets, like, 
they were just making shots all night last night. And, like, it, it was getting be crazy, like, when you see Paul Millsap hit a three, you see Gary yeah. Harris hit some threes. Um, I mean, you mentioned Jeremy Grant earlier on. And then the focal point, like, Jokic's stat line shooting-wise wasn't necessarily amazing. But all the other things that did in terms of being this facilitator – um, on the elbow near the free throw line and just kind of being able to make the, those decisions to distribute the ball to the corners or to, to guys at the three-point line is just amazing. And it, it really kind of shows how special of a player he is that he's basically making these, these clippers that were these perennial favorites I mean, by me and you and by a lot of other people, making them, it it was just incredible to see someone like his body shape, his body type, all those things, what, you know, everyone was kind of making a big deal about that. And he was basically conquering the Clippers and doing it with relative ease without seeming phased at all in the game seven. And I mean, Jamal Murray's just, like, yeah, I think Murray's actually could... getting kind of yeah. I'm Barry. sorry, man. No, I yeah, yeah. I agree. I think, I he's think getting all a of the Jokic bit, uh, love. I think all of the Jokic love, which is well deserved, because like with Jokic kind of doing this, I think people are realizing that this is like a historically, if not historically great, historically significant big man. But I would still argue that Murray was their most has been their most important player of the playoffs so far like he wasn't scoring those huge numbers as consistently um he wasn't scoring those huge numbers as consistently as he was in the Utah series but I I'm sure I don't have the stat line in front of me but what he put up he was incredible in game seven and it's kind of funny that you mentioned that like the ease and the et cetera et cetera because remember I watched the Blazers beat this team with arguably a, a more I don't know if they had a better roster around them, but you know, the, the Nuggets have had some injuries and guys like Gary Harris have kind of fallen off a little bit, but I watched Jokic, not Jokic was, I think Murray's the guy I wanted to focus on because I watched Murray kind of like look very tentative in those games, those big games last year. Whereas this year, it just seems like he's on a fucking mission and he, I mean, he's, like he looks extremely comfortable taking taking the lead in those moments when he has to and like certainly the the overall engine for what they're doing is is Jokic and I'm sure there's an argument to be made that without Jokic providing what he provides Murray wouldn't be free to kind of kind of uh, have those moments where he shoulders the scoring load but I don't know, man. I've I've just been extremely impressed with with what he's been able to do uh, in in some of these games in terms of just taking uh, taking big shots and like not always easy ones either. You know what I mean? Like he's not just like pull, uh, in those in those pick and roll actions. Like he's just pulling up off 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 a off a pick and draining a three or like making these tough mid-range step backs and fadeaways and um you didn't necessarily think of him as 
having that in his bag, at least in, in these big games, but it certainly looks like, like that's the case at this point. And you can make the argument. We can steer back towards Jokic, Jokic if you want, but no, I mean, no, we're not, I, we're I wanted not, to go with Murray too. He's we're not like, doing I, any, we're not doing anything crazy and pointing out that this team has gone to seven games in the, its last, I think, I'm trying to think. So the Jazz and the uh, and the Clippers, obviously, the yeah, the the Blazers, the Spurs. I think it was the last four, the last five um, yeah. that you could make the argument, really, that like those two guys having these kind of trials and tribulations uh, led them to arguably be the steadier team in that situation. That if you want to make a play to the game, it's kind of like the con law thing. Like as applied in game seven, it led to them being the steadier team where the Clippers who hadn't been in that situation before and had more external pressure on them. Um, it hurt them and it helped the nuggets and kind of facially just like those guys seem like they've truly gotten better and better. The more playoff experience they've had. Yeah, and I mean, just to read off uh, Murray's like stat line, he was 15 yeah, for 26 do. from the field, six of 13 from three, put up 40 points. Uh, in the playoffs, he's averaging uh, 27 a game, 49% from three, basically 50%. He's basically a 50 50 90 guy in the playoffs yeah. right now. And that's wild. It's, it's been super impressive. Like, I don't really know what else to say other than he's been making these shots like throughout these past two rounds. I mean, obviously the great duels that he was having with uh, Donovan Mitchell in the first round, but he's just making these shots that I don't think a lot of people really expected because he hadn't, like he had shown glimpses of it, but there wasn't really a consistency that, he had shown in terms of like going off for 25 to 30 a game. Like he was averaging like a nice 18 points a game in the regular season. Um, And he's still young. He's 23 years old. Jokic, I believe is like 25 or 26. So both of these guys are like fairly young building for the future. They kind of mentioned how, I don't know if you heard some of Jokic's, uh, like, press conference or, like, some of his, um, I guess, like, right after the game uh, interview, but they were talking about how they weren't uh, sure, like, how much time this iteration of this team would have left because Millsap is up after this year. I believe, I believe Jeremy Grant might have, or I believe, like, another guy is up after this year in terms of like trying to figure out like how many of these pieces are coming back, especially the Millsat piece. And I think that's the big one as to whether or not he, he comes back. But I think there was just this overall chemistry that like you were saying in years last year's playoff experience being in those game sevens and experiencing that disappointment against the Blazers last year really set them up well against the Jazz this year and then in this in this uh Clippers game but for me like 
the crazy thing was for them to like come back from three one twice in the yeah. postseason, and especially against this Clippers team, the way they came back too with them being down, like they weren't down by like five points in the third quarter in game five. They're down like nineteen points. They're down. Yeah, like, I mean, there's gonna be that like, now iconic moment you mentioned, Millsap that kind of iconic moment where they're down, I think like something like 15 or 17 and he gets into it with Marcus Morris and then basically goes off in that third quarter. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's certainly what everyone's always going to look back on as the turning point uh, for the series. Yeah. So, all right. Yeah. And then yeah, keep going. I guess one of the, I guess one of the things that I wanted to kind of like transition to, I don't know if you wanted to talk any more about the nuggets, but like, one, I, I guess one way to like transition is kind of thinking about what they are possibly going to look like against this Lakers team. Um, do they have, yeah. like, we've written this team off. We're like, yeah, we could see it going six games against the Clippers. But like, it was, be, I think both of us were like, it'll go five and a half, six games and the Clippers will advance uh, fairly comfortably. Like, that feels right to me against this Lakers team. If I were to have, like, if people are listening to any of our predictions anymore, um, just in terms of what can happen against this Lakers team. And I just think the way I see it, at least, I mean, once they go down three, one, I'm going to just kind of be like, all right, this, this series is definitely going seven. Now the series starts. But, yeah. Yeah. But it just seems like, I think the Lakers have a little bit more size in terms of at the five spot to bother Jokic and his passing vision, if that makes sense, when he's making the, when he's rolling to the hoop off of the pick and roll that he's with Murray, like on the recovery, I think people, I think like Davis or whoever's guarding him, Davis McGee, there's a lot of different guys that they can throw at him. Fairly lanky could get in his airspace and slow him down a little bit more. And that's, I think, the key to the series coming up against the Lakers. I don't know if that assertion is correct, um, whether or not, like, JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard are the guys that are going to be the Jokic stoppers necessarily. But they're the mold of guys that I would think could bother Jokic enough to make it make it easier for the Lakers to progress uh, to the finals. That's very interesting that you bring that up because I actually extremely disagree with you on the Jokic okay. front of who should be defending him. Because I would argue, I don't extremely disagree with you because you mentioned Davis. But I shouldn't have said it. We just rarely disagree like that fundamentally on like those kind of takes. And I, I think the Lakers would be playing in. I would argue that the Lakers would be playing into Nugget the Nuggets' hands by ha- keeping by looking at this Nuggets lineup and saying, "Great, this is actually a team that we can do our two centers thing against." Um, I think that would be wrong, and I think they should be playing Davis at the five. 
Because I think guys like McGee and, and Howard, you want them at the rim and you want them defending bigs who are either like posting up or maybe like, you know, they're not, they're pick and roll guys. And then you're kind of having them drop back and guard the rim. I would argue that Jokic is kind of the, the antithesis of that. And if you have play those guys, you're going to run into the same problems the Clippers had in defending him where like, He's he doesn't post up. He can occasionally, but he's playing around the elbows. He's kind of coming off the short roll and making passes, and he's occasionally playing from the top of the key. That's not. I don't really want. I feel like you're keeping Javale McGee, and um, you're keeping you're making those guys go out of their element in trying to guard a guy like Jokic. And then you're also having weird things happen because they're being pulled away from the basket, from the basket and opening up kind of when Jokic likes to find cutters and stuff like that out of, out of, out of the kind of top, top of the key or the high post. Um, I, I think you'll end up having problems there. What I would probably, and it should also be noted that like, sure, do, do the Nuggets really have the horses to guard Davis? No, but they have. They can throw Millsap at, Millsap at him, and they can throw Jeremy Grant at him. And if Jokic guards them for a couple possessions, that that can work. You know, when you compare that to the guys the Rockets and the Blazers had to throw at them, it, it's not really that much. It's not worse. I'd, I'd argue it's it's probably better. Um, on the other hand, I think if you're playing AD at the center and stuff like that, then you're yes, that you're putting a long, lengthy, uh, athletic defender on him who might be able to kind of uh, kind of match up with Jokic's profile a bit more. And you're making Jokic work on the, on the defensive end more than he has had to do in any of these other series. I mean, yes, he had Gobert, but Gobert, like you kind of know what you're getting, whereas Davis can kind of punish them in, in different types of uh, ways, arguably. Um, so that would kind of be my argument there because it must be said, like we, we were spending so much time talking about Murray. I mean, Jokic, I, I think we, we talked about it before, but he, he is really special and um, it, it will be interesting to see how the Lakers kind of try and solve the equation of, of the nuggets with the, with the defensive pieces they have kind of taking it to the other side of the, uh, though, how do you feel about like, because so I kind of just outlaid my reasons for why the nuggets might make it a series, like might make it a six, seven game series. But on the other hand, like the Lakers have fucking handled their business. Like, yeah, yeah, they look, you, they've, they've lost good. both game ones, and I think that's an angle. I think that's possibly we. I wouldn't be surprised if we see them drop game one or game two here. But they won both series in five. Like after that Blazer game one, they pretty much handled the Blazers, and and it's with the Rockets, pretty much the same exact thing happened after game one. Like I don't have the box scores in front of me. I'm sure one other game was close. Um, I think actually I sent to you in like game two or game three, like showing how cursed our predictions been this postseason. Like I think in the second half of game two, I texted you saying these teams look evenly matched. And basically from that point on the, the Lakers <laughs> completely and utterly destroyed yeah. them. 
Um, like, so should we, like, is this the point where we should be saying, okay, the Lakers are, even though it seems like they're doing it in this very unflashy way to my eyes. I mean, of course, LeBron is, is putting up those kind of 30, 10, 10 type games every, what seems like every other game. And Davis has, has certainly been really good. Um, uh, like, I'm trying to think of like one incredible game he'd had and it was eluding me, but he, I can't really find any qualms. And it seems like as these series go on, they're able to kind of one, I think they really tighten up defensively. I think you've seen that happen in both the Blazer series and the Rocket series that maybe once they, I feel like once they get a feel for what you're doing, they're able to kind of, take away your best stuff a lot more. And it seems like they've been able to scratch and claw and pull offensive contributions from other guys um, when they need it. Um, see Rondo, comma, Rajon. Um, and like at this point, especially against a team like the Nuggets, and when you look at the rest of the field remaining in the NBA playoffs, Kevin Wu, is it time to say these guys are – if not a lock, pretty close to it to be the NBA champions. Yeah. What say you? I think it's pretty close. I think it's pretty close. If I like, if you put a gun to my head, all that stuff. Yeah, I'm taking them as as the champs. But like, one of the things that I think makes it compelling is the idea that the Lakers basically like duped us or like tricked us or lulled us to sleep kind of yeah into thinking like oh my gosh the Lakers are in trouble they weren't looking that good in the bubble like three and five during the seeding games I think they were and then you know they lose that first game against the Blazers and we're like all right everyone's ready to pile on LeBron and like all the things that you know maybe father time has caught up to him and all of these things and They've pretty comfortably over the past two series shut that door and with the Clippers going down, it just seems very like tailor made for LeBron to to kind of reign again as the as as the champions um of the NBA. And it doesn't seem it it seems like very easy what it is they're doing in terms of like I don't know. I don't know for you in terms of watching the Rocket series. It didn't seem like he really like turned it on on. If that makes sense. You're like, talking about LeBron, I presume. About yeah, about LeBron. In terms of at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, and let's say the Rocket series went to seven, or even let's say if this Nuggets game or series goes. Uh, to six or to seven or whatever. Don't you feel like LeBron is having the ball in his hands, even though he can talk about all the things, like talk about all the complimentary things he wants to say about Anthony Davis is probably the, like the best player on this team. Like he's like, you know, one, he's the guy in that aspect of things. But LeBron is getting the ball, and like, no, of course just, he is. Like to me, he's just. I still just think be he... like bully ball LeBron, game six, game seven, and Davis is kind of gonna be like, 
all right, LeBron, whatever you give me, I'm going to – like, they'll run things for him. No, I think that's completely – yeah. I, I, I think that's completely true. I think you've seen, like, honestly, it's kind of fascinating. You've kind of seen – and pretty much this whole year, like, you remember that he's going – he was in kind of this MVP-type form going into the bubble, and you made the point about them struggling – and I think it's important to real remember, though, that certain teams that struggled, such as the Milwaukee Bucks, did crap out. So it wasn't yeah. a given that they were going to, you know, just turn it on all of a sudden. But with LeBron, you've seen this sort of like, almost like, and it's not, he's always incredible. That That's certainly correct. But even just the way people are talking about this team and this, it feels like this almost kind of like under the radar, understated sort of ruthless efficiency. And he has so a lot of, if, if push comes to shove, like you were saying, he seems to have a lot of stuff working right now. Like in both the Rocket series and the Blazers series, he's making a lot of threes, which um, is kind of interesting because that's always been something that, that comes or goes with him. It seems like he's getting the step back threes and making them when he wants to. And he's doing all the stuff, the stuff you could expect and kind of running this offense that like for as much as like you want to wonder, like, well, you still in fact wonder, like when you were saying all that stuff about AD, you still don't quite know how he's going to get used from game to game. If that makes any sense. Like, you know, mm-hmm. he's going to eat on the boards just based on kind of the, the way the team's constructed. And he's going to get some stuff out of the mid post, like these kind of like Tim Duncan-y face-up jumper type things. Um, and you know what he's going to do. But, like, I don't consider him still the focal point of their team offensively by, by any stretch. And, um, yeah, I kind of felt like I was really – talking well there and couldn't think of a way to sum up my point but I think what 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 I'm trying to say is just like uh it's what it's hard to put your finger on what it is given all those things we're we're saying but it seems to be working you know what I so especially against a team like the Nuggets it's it's hard to to make the argument that it's not going to happen like um I don't know the the Rockets thing. Maybe that's it's a point for the for another podcast. I mean, it's kind of interesting to try and go back and assess the Rockets and where they stand. I mean, we now know that Mike D'Antoni isn't coming back. Um, is the assessment that the small ball conceit failed there, or is the assessment that the Russell Westbrook trade failed there? Or is or some combination of both or some other thing? What what Aren't say you, you on that? We can keep this to a minimum, but it's, right, right. I'm, I was just as I, I feel like at the Lakers, I pretty much said all all I wanted to say. But in making that assessment, my thoughts kind of drifted to the Rockets series a bit because I feel like that that had to do with the Lakers being a better team and being a sufficient team. But did it have something to do with the the Rockets as well, or would like would this have happened against the Clippers? Like it's kind of a weird thing to go. Like if the roles were reversed and the Lakers were playing the Nuggets and the Clippers were, what what would have happened? But we can set that aside right now and and go back to the question I initially posed to you. 
Well, I just think throughout the rest of the series after, I believe, game one, Westbrook was fairly ineffective. I believe he had one other decent game. I think it was game three where he he had a fairly decent game. Um, But he just didn't look super effective in terms of just key turnovers. Like, I think we must have texted back, back, like, multiple times, like, wow, Westbrook just kind of cost them that game, cost them that possession there. Yeah, I feel like just, they're at least game five and or game game four, and then I think game two, he pretty much single-handedly lost them, or at least it appeared down the stretch. Right, and if you look at, like, points-wise, like, he didn't do terrible now that I'm looking back at it. He scored like 25 in game four, uh, like 30, I believe in game three, like he had the, he had the bad game. I think it was in in game two that he kind of really struggled from the field, but the hard thing is, and we've talked about this ad nauseum where when Harden has the ball in his hands and Westbrook's just standing there, it's really hard for any sort of deep or any sort of gravity to come towards Westbrook on the defensive side of things in terms of attracting attention if he's just the spot up shooter. And yeah. That's the huge struggle there. And when you look back at this trade now, and we could look at OKC and everyone was kind of making this point on Twitter today about how OKC really seems like they made out with all the bevy of first-round picks they've gotten from the Paul George and um, Russell Westbrook deals, and they weren't even that much that much worse off this year in that they still they went to Game 7. They did even better than last year, I guess. They went to, went to Game 7, and they, you know, they lost a close one to Houston, it was just that Westbrook doesn't seem like he's fitting with Harden as much as it seems like with all the history they have going back to their OKC days where it seems like they kind of, I don't know if they enjoy playing with each other personally, but it seems like they have some sort of relationship going back to those days that it'll be tough for them to even give up on it and it's going to be impossible to trade Russell Westbrook for anyone anyway so it's not like they can really even like this is their team kind of moving forward unless they just do a just like a blow-up type of thing a deal where Westbrook is kind of given away for spare parts and even then it's hard with his contract and that that's getting super granular obviously but I mean it just don't you think they need like just at least maybe the system itself works in terms of over the course of a season but in the playoffs it seems like if you can play multiple ways and different ways it serves you better in that you can exploit matchups in different ways from series to series and uh, yeah, I I think that is possibly I think that is possibly true. I, um, just am I cutting you off? I'm sorry. No, 
Yeah. No, no. I mean, we can have her back and forth. I mean, I'm, I'm just talking like one functional big man. Like, you know what I mean? I, like, I don't think the big man was the problem that much in this series. The point I was going to make is like Westbrook is kind of the shiny toy to point at and, and laugh at. And it's understandable. But at the end of the day, when you cut, co- well, it is true. People always point out these things of like Westbrook plus blah, blah, Westbrook plus blah, blah. The problem's Westbrook. But isn't the problem kind of James Harden also? Yeah, we could get like, to that I too. Think, yeah. I think the problem isn't as much whatever the small ball, the trading for Chris Paul, the trading for Westbrook. They're all, all of these moves are happening with the pro, with the end up the fundamental problem of like how do we find a way for this guy to be effective in the playoffs you know what I mean like how do we set up the premium situation for him to be effective in the playoffs and he can't do it no matter what way they've they've tried and the ironic thing the point I was going to make about the Chris Paul trade was the the one time it almost worked was the time they had Chris Paul but they had to trade Chris Paul because he couldn't get along with James Harden yeah so uh like I think I'm starting to, and I'm a pretty big Harden fan, like in terms of just like appreciate, especially in the regular season, appreciating what he does for the game. I picked him as the MVP. Yeah. Yeah, I picked him as the MVP last year. I always thought he should have been like, I, I think he should be a two or three time MVP, but like, it's almost like a cliche to say at this point, kind of. And I feel like, once again, the Westbrook thing distracted from it, but I also feel like people are just tired of having this conversation. But, like, I don't know what they're supposed to do at this point because even in that OKC series, and maybe we should have seen the writing on the wall more then, that the OKC series, they were winning a lot of games by having, like, Jeff Green and P.J. Tucker and kind of those type of guys hitting a lot of shots and, you know, uh, uh, Eric Gordon having a couple moments and stuff like that. It, that series wasn't necessarily won by, by James Harden playing really well. And the Lakers series, he didn't really play well. Like, I can't think of one. Can you think of one game? I'm sure there is one, but I can't really think of one game in the playoffs where I was like, they won that game because of how James Harden played. Like, say what you will about Westbrook, but at least he, you know, was at least he was trying to, like, sure, he did it negatively, but you see Harden kind of seemingly shrink from these moments over and over again. And I, I wonder if you're just, I wonder what you can, I guess kind of the point once you're making these other, I wonder what you can do. Like, or I wonder what, whether the card is leading the horse in some of these situations, because it's this vicious cycle of like, yes, you want, I understand what you're saying about the versatility and ostensibly what you want to do, but you're trying to also mold your pieces around this, this one player, but maybe that, style i feel like we have a lot of evidence now that it it might not ever get you to a championship you know yeah and i'm wow another you know (laughs) no i'm i'm just curious to see what happens with the coaching and who they bring in i wonder because because 
I think what people have to remember about Mike D'Antoni and his coaching style and his system is it's very we're giving the ball to one guy and everything flows from that guy. I mean, remember he brought Lynn Sanity up, you know, that from out of nothing basically because he just gave the ball to Jeremy Lynn and was like, Hey, you're our guy right now. You're running the show. That's why Steve Nash has his two MVPs, all those things. Obviously Nash and the Phoenix Suns, when they were there, they did it to a different level, but that's just the style that D'Antoni plays, and it it hasn't ever worked in the grand scheme of things of winning an NBA championship, but it's gotten teams fairly far when maybe they couldn't have gotten farther in playing different a different way. But I'm just curious to see whether or not Harden, under a different system, maybe that's a little bit less, I wouldn't say ball dominant, but maybe he gets his points in different ways. And whether or not that opens up the offense for, I don't know, different players, whether, and and I don't even know if that's the correct way to go about it, because yeah, I was going to say, you, it will don't, be interesting. Don't you want, I'm, not, I'm, not sure yeah. be, I'm not sure if it will be the right answer or not, but I, it w- I'm not sure if it will be good or not, but I understand going a different way, and it will be interesting to see. And it will answer a lot of the questions we've been bringing up here, I think. Right, because right. I, I think, think if, yeah. if you bring in a more – if you try and run a tr- more traditional offense and it fails, you have a lot of answers as to – what type of player Harden is and what you maybe need to do to make to make a Harden run offense successful versus, you know, something else. Yeah, and I think this is where it gets into maybe oh maybe you don't want other players touching the ball necessarily on offense more than James Harden because look how good James Harden is offensively. But I think what ends up happening is, like, we can get back to, like, the arm armchair psychology bit of maybe players, when they are given some sort of responsibility, like handling the ball a little bit more, or like, hey, you're running the offense for this amount of time. We're giving you this sort of responsibility. Hey, at least we can go to this at times during the playoffs and it doesn't have to go hard and centric where now if the Harden thing doesn't work, then all right, shit, we're out of luck. And we have aren't you, to go to, aren't you explain, aren't you explaining the theory behind bringing in Russell Westbrook though, to some extent? Yes, in some ways, but like that's more, that's more out of, I think, just what they have and how cat constrained they are. Yeah, I, like, I, I I agree. I agree to yeah. some extent. Like they have to kind of make do with this team because they're bringing back all their guys pretty much. Just looking at their their cap space and who they who they have. I think they're only going to be missing um uh what's it called? What's his name? Jeff Green from the rotation. Um, he's he's on a minimum and I believe 
Um, Austin Rivers is on a, a, he has a player option for next year. So those two guys, but they're not like extremely, extremely huge pieces in the grand scheme of things. So this is pretty much the bones of their team and they're going to have to try something else to try to make it work. And we'll see what happens. Um, I'm curious to see who they end up hiring um, and bringing in so that what, like whether or not they make things a little bit easier um, and a different iteration of this rocket team, the Rockets team actually works uh, with Harden being this star player. Um, and it seems like you have your doubts about that as well, just with how you brought, brought up Harden and his struggles in the playoffs. Um, that was a lot longer than I thought. Yeah, we're, we we're cannot, I don't know if we, I don't know if we're capable of doing a podcast under an hour and a half at this point. Uh, I, yeah, I thought we, we were going to, we're, we're super I thought we were long gonna zip through, I thought we were going to zip through this thing in an hour. It's probably my fault. Much like James Harden, I need to, be, <laughs> I need to be I able to go just, on long five minute monologues that go nowhere. And, I need uh, to give you your possessions and you give you your <laughs> shots. Like you need your shots to be able to like, I mean, I mean, you, you're an important part of the offense. So it's just, you're definitely well needed in this, in but, this discussion. Um, I, think you, I, I think we're trying to make a segue over to the east side of the bracket and maybe we save Wonderful and maybe we segue. try and just focus and maybe we just try and focus on, on the series at hand. Um, I mean, a moment of brief mourning for your beloved Toronto Raptors. Um, oh, man. They broke but, uh, my heart. But, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was tough. Like, it was a tough I, – I thought they had it, and then it was – they just came up short, and I think that's pretty much where we leave it. And we – and no, it, no, remain, it, remains to be, it remains to be seen what happens with all their key guys, with Van Vliet and – like Abaka, and we can kind of leave it at that and talk about it. No, of course. Time. So I, I yeah. wanted to get, I wanted to get into, I, I wanted to kind of start with the Celtics because, in it, it's, it's, I'm pretty, as I'm starting to think about this Western Eastern Conference Finals, and we both, we both think that it's going seven games. We just, so it'll probably. The Heat will. It'll probably whoever we think. I don't know who. I don't even know who I would pick in the series. To be frank with you, I guess the Heat. So I think the Celtics will now win the next four games. But this Celtics thing they have going really seems to be working. It's kind of interesting how this is a very weird first place to start. We don't have to discuss it in in detail. It's very interesting thinking about the centers on the team that, because we were discussing Jokic before we were discussing the five spot on the, on the, um, on the Clippers. Uh, We were talking about Anthony Davis in the centers for the Lakers. You can talk about Bam Adebayo on the Heat. And then you look at the Celtics who are doing this weird platoon. Not weird because they're both – Daniel Tice, who's like being extremely efficient. Uh, You've you've got Time Lord, uh, Robert Williams coming in and playing some efficient minutes. And then some small ball Grant Williams at the five down, down the end of some of these games. And it's just – 
like, and I, I don't mean to bring that up as like a point of discussion. What I mean to bring it up as, as we've been talking a lot on this play in, in this playoff thing about teams that know their roles and have good chemistry and are able to kind of just like do their thing night to night. The Celtics very much struck me as one of these teams, these, these teams at this point, to me, it's pretty decided that the gravitational pull of the offense is Tatum. Um, Kemba has had his nights, but by no stretch has he been consistently great from night to night. Uh, He wasn't particularly good in game one. Um, Game seven, uh, especially in the later latter half of the rock of the of the Toronto series, when Toronto was pulling out these box and one kind of offenses, he he seems uh, to struggle at times. Although he's certainly hitting hitting big shots when it matters, it, but um, that's a long winded way of saying Tatum seems to be their gravitational pull on offense. Um, Marcus Smart is, I to me, they've been their second best player. I think I, we've talked about this team, and I've said the same thing already, so I don't want to repeat too many of the same topics. And you astutely brought up last night that it seems that we've reached a point where you have, you can't just help off of them at the three-point line, which is unlocking things for them. You have Jalen Brown as kind of kind of the glue guy, um, and that it's that kind of core of four guys seems to be holding down the fort. Hell, they don't even have Gordon Hayward back. So, you know, I've, I, I don't know why, but I had been kind of this Celtics skeptic throughout the year. And maybe I think at the end of the day, you, I draw it back to Tatum and this just kind of lingering skepticism over his offensive viability. But nah, man, like this guy's really fucking good and moreover that he's surrounded by other really good guys um so and it'll be interesting to talk about the heat because i think they kind of mirror each other in certain ways and then do the same thing but uh in a kind of different style in other ways um i don't know do you feel the same way as i do like are you is this because we both like Toronto more than more than the Celtics as like a possible as kind of the other team other than the Bucks. What 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 do you think we were wrong about that we've seen here as as uh, we got through that Raptors series and into the Eastern Conference Finals? So I think there's a couple things there. And first of all, I do want to toot my horn again about the Jason Tatum thing. I'm going to be taking yes. that prediction because that's the only prediction I was pretty Absolutely. much right about. To Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't necessarily think we were – like, at least for me, I wasn't out on Tatum at all. and I that was No, I just think we, we were overlooking them a little bit. Right, right. I, would, I mean, I, certainly the right, Heat right. as well, but – no, no. I think the one thing I do want to get to the point as to why maybe I chose Toronto over the uh, Celtics and whether or not there are two reasons specifically, and those two reasons have basically solved Boston's problems and why they're in the Eastern Conference Finals. Number one, I think maybe we maybe the Gordon Hayward injury 
hasn't been as bad for them as possible, bringing up mm-hmm. point number two because Marcus Smart is in the lineup and he's done all his Marcus Smart things and he's been able to come up fairly big in spots. Um, what I believe, what was it, game was it game five or something like that? I, I can't I can't remember, but he was just kind of going crazy from three uh, that one game against the Raptors. Like, he's been functional in that lineup and fits so well with the guys. And defensively, he, you could, like, kind of put him on, on anyone, and he's a 6'4 guard, and you can put him on, on like, these 6'7", six, 6'8 six, dudes, and you don't really lose anything there. Um and I think those are like the two things that when linked together, maybe we overlooked in that Hayward's injury, while it was bad and they lost something in talent, they didn't lose as much as we thought because the guy replacing him in smart has performed pretty darn well. Um, replacing him and knocking down those outside shots that he would be getting because he's being helped off of and left open uh, from three. And that's like, yeah, I think that's what it boils down to. Ultimately, the Kemba struggles are like kind of like, I guess, concerning if you're a Boston fan somewhat and that he hasn't been able to be consistent. Um, But the Tatum stuff, obviously, he's been remarkably good offensively and defensively. Like, he's been fairly good on yeah. both ends of the floor. And, and I think while we for, – for me, I think we kind of expected that, and that was, like, something we, would, we were like, all right, like, that's most likely what you're going to get from Tatum, maybe a little bit more in consistency, maybe a little bit better from Kemba. But the smart thing was probably the big question mark, and that's probably why we we're we're leaning a little bit more towards Toronto because they're a known quantity compared to what Boston was and um, the set of players that the Celtics have. And I'm curious to see what happens. Like bringing up Hayward's injury, I'm curious to see what happens in the series. It seems like he's a doubt for Game Two, but um, I think Brad Stevens has talked about him coming back later in this series, possibly. Um, So I wonder if that ends up messing up like the flow of their rotations at all, whether or not he ends up playing like a role in crunch time. I don't know how you can really put him in there um, in crunch time. Yeah. I mean, just to to jump you for a second, I'd be interested what you would say, because if I'm bringing him back in like a game four, game five, and let's presume like we think the series will be close or tied at that point. I'm pretty much just, I'm trying to, if I'm the Brad, Brad Stevens, do the delicate dance of like slowly bringing him back. So in a finals, he could be available to kind of play a bigger role while not messing with what works. So basically I would just be having him play those kind of semi-Ogele Brad Wanamaker fringe minutes since they have a pretty short rotation already um, as opposed to putting him in like my starting five or my closing five or anything. And I doubt he'll be in the starting five, but um, yeah, I wouldn't yeah, yeah. be tinkering with that too much. Yeah, totally agree. Especially because I thought the point you made about smart made a lot of sense. I think there's an argument to be made that 
over the course of his Celtics tenure, he has been more of that super sub six-man guy. And in that role, you may feel a little bit more judicious with your shot taking, or you might be a little bit more – I mean, I, he's never struck me as a tentative guy. He's been more of an irrational confidence guy. But I do think there is an interesting argument to be made when you are fully unrestrained and you're a guy with that kind of mindset that it, it helps you. I thought that was a, a fairly interesting point. But do you agree with me that you would kind of handle Hayward the same way? Or uh... Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I'm pretty much giving him so Wanamaker played twenty five minutes in one. I'm pretty much giving him like twenty of those minutes probably. Like some combination of the Wanamaker Ojale minutes. Ojale played ten minutes. So it's probably like somewhere in that twenty minute range to start off. Yeah, definitely. And I think it should be said of the Kemba thing real quick. It should be said, and then we can maybe turn to the heat. With the Kemba thing, it should be said it's his first playoff series. So it's kind of nice that he can rely on these guys like Tatum and like Jalen Brown to carry the load. And it's important to remember that these guys made a friggin' Eastern Conference Finals on their mostly on their own before and it seems like if we want to kind of draw out these themes across games that that consist I mean the Raptors certainly had that consistency as well and it didn't necessarily work out well for them but it helps to have those guys who have been in these big moments before and like Tatum has carried playoff games before you know Jalen Brown has guarded really good players in playoff games before so um, if Kemba struggles night to night, I'm not like, yes, you're going to need it eventually, but it's not like I'm particular, like they need very nearly one game one in absence of Kemba having a great night. I mean, there are some questions about down the stretch, me and you were texting back and forth about Kemba maybe not taking advantage of some favorable matchups, but, but all that aside, um, I'm not necessarily looking for Kemba to have to step up big time. I think he can be the second or third best player in some of these games. Now the Heat are, I mean, they've been probably my favorite team to watch other than the Blazers in this, yeah, they've in this been playoff series. In, yeah. in these playoffs, I've been kind of, I've, I've mentioned over and over again that like I kind of, had them on my back burner during the during the regular season. I don't know if that's some sort of weird Jimmy Butler version that was lingering from kind of those exits in in Philly and and uh, Minnesota. I don't know if it was just this thought that okay they're this middle of the pack team and I won't really need to worry about them so much going down the stretch or what. But this is a team that. You know, this is a team that you talked about sort of this versatility. I think they've had this great balance of kind of like contributions from in what I was kind of saying in that different mirroring of, of Boston, like Boston, they seem to be a team that's very comfortable in its own skin and knows what it's doing from game to game and knows what its players roles are. But whereas Boston is doing it with this kind of shrunk rotation and this core cast of characters, the Heat are doing it like certainly Jimmy Butler is going to be the the gravitational 
is going to be the kind of planet by which everything else orbits around. But you're getting different contributions from guys throughout the playoffs. You're having Goran Dragic have these big moments. You're having Tyler Hero have these have these great offensive games. He was spectacular in game one. You're having Duncan Robinson have these really good moments, you know, and, and so on. Um yeah, what do you what do you make of this team, Kev? Um yeah, I mean versatility is like the big kind of word there in terms and I think another word to throw in there is interchangeable in that yes. they there doesn't seem to be a drop off when one guy is in for another. Like Jay Crowder and Iggy, like they pretty much play similar roles in that they're like like they can space it out enough in terms of hitting some threes but then also Uh like are that defensive guy like Duncan Robinson Tyler Hero the white guy that can shoot threes I obviously I think Hero's a little hey Hero can hit I really like Robinson and I think I think Robinson is like our next not to be I mean, whatever, but I think he is going to end up being that Corver, um, JJ Redick of like the next generation, as it were. Like, I think he's going to be in the league for a long time. Hero has, I think, a little bit more of a like off the dribble, can run, pick and roll. Right, right, right. So I, and you were literally going to say that before I cut you off. But I still do think your fundamental premise is right. You have shooting on the floor from one of those guys. You have guys who are coming down off pin downs and and dragging uh, guys towards them, um, regardless of who it is. Yeah, and I think that's where like the hero heroes kind of shown things um, skill wise off the dribble, handling the ball. Like he had nine assists last game. He was one assist away. Yeah, from he a almost had a triple double. Yeah. 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 So like he was super close to triple double. But like I think the one name for me that's been like surprising and key has been Dragic. My and that, like I oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean him with his celebration. <laughs> I was kidding. I was kidding. I was like, kidding. Yeah. Pretty yeah, good. Sideline but, flexing. He's been he's been incredible. I mean, grade A, like, top, like what was that team a couple years ago in the college ranks? Monmouth, was it? Was it Monmouth where they would, like, they were the team that would, like, plan sideline celebrations? Oh, yeah, like I a think crazy it was. I think down. it was. Yeah, he, he's got to kind of get on that train with, you know, some of the other guys on the bench over there. Uh, Udonis Haslam maybe can kind of play play with him and try to work on that. <laughs> But, like, even, like, the Goran Dragic, like, I don't think people really expected him to be there or even have it at the age that he is right now or at this stage of his career. And, you know, put up the amount of production that he's had. And there, I think that's the one guy that changed the trajectory a little bit in in terms of not knowing what to expect uh obviously the bam block was like probably the, one of the best defensive plays i've ever seen just like at the time the moment like with the clock winding down and just like how clear of a pass uh tatum had on butler but i think Dragic has been extremely good for them 
Um, and I didn't really see it coming and expect it to happen. Um, and I'd been honestly, to be, to be frank, I'd been sleeping on this team. Like I did not know what to expect from this team, but the more and more I will send throughout the playoffs, they're the team that is like, all right, if they're versing the Lakers in the finals, like I am so heavy on this team. And like, they have like a lot of these interesting characters, likable guys that you just would want to root for. Yeah. Agreed. Um, so should we try and finish up with some in, in that vein? Should we try and kind of finish up with some, we've been wrong so many times. We may as well be wrong a couple more. Do you have predictions for these series? Obviously we're one game into uh, Lakers. I mean, into heat Celtics. I'm going to say, it's a little bit public. I feel like the, the Clippers are probably the Vegas favorite and the Heat are the public favorite. I'm going to say Heat and seven, and then I'm going to go with the very garden variety, boring Lakers and six pick in, um, in, uh, in the West. And then uh, I'll say Lakers in five in the finals. Okay. Yeah, I think it's going to be Lakers in six against the Nuggets. And then I'm going to go um, – you know what? It's been tough, but I think this is where I, I don't know. This has been, I think the tough thing for me here is like, does Gordon Hayward change this series if he comes back? And I'm not sure if he changes it enough. And yeah. the depth, the depth pieces of the heat are like so interchangeable that they can go so much like, they can play so many different ways. Like I know we were texting back and forth yesterday about just like basically like a defensive sub package, kind of like talking about it, like football um, in the last yeah. possession of that game where they're just like, Hey, we're throwing all these like long, like guys that can switch every, you know, switch everything and defend everything. And Derek Jones, like pretty much had like, the like had to play defense coming on cold basically against uh Jason Tatum as the clock was winding down down in regulation and did a fairly decent job there so just kind of speaks to their interchangeable uh like parts and versatility so I'm going Miami in seven um but it wouldn't surprise me if uh Boston won either um and then in the finals I'm going Lakers and so you said Lakers in five, right? I'm going Lakers yeah. in six. All right. But, so yeah. we're looking forward to a Nuggets Celtics finals where, uh, you know, there yeah. you go. It's locked and loaded. Exactly. Like any of Hey, the, I wouldn't any... be too mad at that either. I will certainly I be rooting be. hard for the Nuggets in the, in the West. They have also been very fun to watch and you know, yeah. why not? I wouldn't just be embrace upset. the craziness at this point. Exactly. I wouldn't be upset with it. I'm sure the NBA um, or anyone that's listening in terms of betting purposes want to lock down Nuggets Celtics. They we have given them the pathway and like the the right to be able to do that with our terrible predictions. I wouldn't say terrible, but just like hey, predictions. We, I mean, that we have, have to give our. I think we should give ourselves some credit because I I do think on balance we've been fairly good like in the whole of predictions we've made, I think I discussed this at one point before we started picking 
for the I feel like this is our first like major run of legitimately terrible predictions. I think prior to that we had we'd been at least respectable. You're gonna you're gonna have your ups and downs and hell uh at the end of the day we can at least always blame the bubble. So Yep. Blame the bubble. We can hang our hat on Toronto from last year. Also yeah. um yeah, also like I'm sure the NBA wants to see Celtics Lakers, correct? Just from a national viewing Probably. perspective. I don't know if they would have that much of a – I don't know if they would have that much of a – do you think there's that much of a material di- di- uh, difference between the Celtics and the Heat at this point? I know the Celtics are more of a prestige team, I guess, but it feels like the Heat are, like, not that – like, if the Heat are, like – if the Celtics are, like, comparing it to, like, football or something, if the Celtics are the Packers, the the – the Heat are like, you know, the the Heat are like the, the 49ers or something like that, where they're like not one of the old, like they're not one of the old cherished teams, but they are still, they're kind of this second rank prestige team. So I don't, I think as long as the Lakers are in there, they won't care too much. But, um, That's true. you know, we thought the net, we thought, we thought the refs might come in to, make sure we get LA by versus LA and it didn't happen. Although there's not much you can do. Uh, the refs can't call fouls on uh, Paul George hitting the side of the backboard on corner threes. So, Yep. Okay. So a couple ancillary things that I did kind of want to bring up to you that aren't anything involved with basketball. So if you guys don't want to listen to things associated to basketball you can turn off the podcast now but i would encourage people to keep listening i'm going to just kind of spring this on andrew we i i didn't discuss this with him before um so andrew football wise okay completely different pivot any like any big reactions to week one of of the football season and you could keep it as short as you want or as long as you want at this Um, point that's a good question. Um, I didn't have that. I didn't feel like I was watching that much substantially different from a week one of your average season. I thought it was a little, I mean, I thought the games, the one o'clock kind of red zone window wasn't, it was like a very mid tier kind of witching hour. I mean, you had the end of that Lions Bears game, but there weren't like tons of exciting finishes or anything, but I thought the quality of play was, was pretty much on the level and, and arguably a little bit better than expected, at least in the, the idea of like there, it didn't seem like there were crazy amounts of penalties. It didn't seem like offenses or defenses were particularly ahead of each other. Um, I think it is interesting. And this is something that unfortunately, I don't know if it, I was, I've, I've listened to Simmons because I, I enjoy listening. I've now come to the point where I can't listen to him for basketball but I like listening to him on football, just on his high level gambling takes. And he the brought spread, this up yeah. and then, huh? Yeah. Like all his like gambling takes, the spreads, like all that. Yeah, exactly. Stuff is, I, that stuff's fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard for him to like have that many awful takes during that kind of stuff, but they were bringing up the crowd noise and I hadn't noticed it during red zone on Monday because like it's bopping around and stuff. But the Monday night games that I was watching last night, they really the crowd, the fake crowd noise is really bad. I don't I don't know if you've noticed, but it's like it's very much like um 
it's very much like as opposed to the NBA, for example, or like soccer, where you kind of just need to be having a low murmur going the whole time. Football is much more play dependent. And I seems like they're not great at like having reactions to play has happened. So like, for example, in the um, Giants, uh, the Giants Steelers game, like Daniel Jones throws this interception and you kind of have these two, this like five seconds of ambient crowd noise. And then this way too high in the mix, like booing that sounded like Madden kind of. Um, So, you know, they'll need to get that sorted out. But other than that, no, I don't have that many other high-level reactions to week one. I mean, I had a god-awful fantasy week, but no one likes hearing about other people's fantasy teams. It's like talking about your dreams, you know. So uh, (laughs) I'm excited. I'm happy to have it back. That's that's for certain. Um, I'm a lot more happy to have it back than, say, college football, just in terms of, like, anchoring my week and needing to have it in my life. I, I feel like football takes a precedence. I know you were discussing things with your brother, so I won't, right, I won't right. press you on, on too much more here, but, no, no. but that was, yeah, that was kind of my high level uh, week one take. Uh, pretty, crowd pretty happy with weak. it overall. Yeah. Yeah. Crowd noise has been pretty bad. Like if I had to rank it Just, from sport to sport, yeah, it's probably, it would be at the bottom, right? It's, yeah, it's soccer, then basketball, then football yeah. for me. It was least. just surprising. I think it was mostly surprising because especially basketball, which I've been mo- doing the most, has done so well with it that um, it was it was kind of when this actually was noticeable and bad, it, it really stuck out. Football, that the football, like the pause after five seconds and the late reaction just would never happen. So it just... I don't know. I I'd rather watch it in silence, like instead. But um, yeah, that was. Or just bad. like was, don't, or just like don't try and have reactions to it. Just find a good level of like ambient noise and have that going, and like don't worry about like trying to make it seem like a real game. You know what I mean? Right. It's I'm, more I'm just with that to, kind of. But that yes, to, I yeah, I. Yeah. No, I was just trying to imagine like mood music playing in the in the stadium, like as you're like trying to like setting this ambient tone to try to like set the mood or whatever. And yeah, I mean that's like, a good that's a good yeah, that's a good funny. point. Like in basketball, a lot of a lot of the kind of like percentage of the sound design or whatever, like forty percent of it is just having like a rap beat playing or something like that in the background anyway for like the offensive possession. So you don't really have that as much as football. So it may be a little bit more same with soccer. Like you just kind of, you already have these libraries of these chants and stuff like that, that you can just play in the background. Whereas for football, as I said, it's a little bit more play specific. So might be a little bit more difficult, but I don't know. Yeah. I wonder if the JTS Jets, Jets, Jets chant is going to be coming out in week two this week. Uh, we'll see. We'll see whether or not that happens. Andrew, has there ever has there next thing that I did kind of want to bring up? Has there been uh, anything new in Andrew's commercial corner, or am I just pushing it? Too okay, much? so I um, do have an Andrew. I figured you would. I figured you would go here. I didn't know if you were going to hit me with Bon Appetit or Andrew's commercial corner. I mean, um, I might go bon appetit right after. <laughs> um, yes. But 
So Andrew's commercial corner this week is not about a TV commercial. I'm sorry to say. It is about a commercial that I've been noticing. It may, it is on TV, but I've been, no, it's not, I'm not going to have much of a bit about this, but I watch a lot of YouTube, not like I don't watch like YouTubers and stuff like that, but a lot, a good portion of my day is just spent like ambiently kind of looking at stuff on YouTube. Like just re- like I'll read some things off my home pages here. Like I'll occasionally listen to music. There's like a New York Times cooking thing that's popped up. There's like a Howard Stern show clips that pop up. Uh, there's a poker, a lot of poker comp vid- compilations popping up. So kind of just like boring, you know, my interests. I need. I'm filling five minutes or like taking a break from Barbary and looking at something for five minutes sort of thing youtube i guess plays you these like specialized ads or stuff you know unlike tv they they can tailor things more to your preference i get or like based on your preferences and stuff and you know certain things or if you're streaming or whatever like hulu certain commercials will come up over and over again but there is a commercial that has been coming up it seems like I have never seen a commercial so much in a condensed period of time as I've seen this commercial. And like, there are certain commercials that like you associate with like seeing over and over again. Like maybe there are certain Geico commercials you remember playing a lot, you know, a Bud Light commercial or something like that. But they normally have something memorable in them. So lately on YouTube, and I wonder if you've seen this commercial, maybe you haven't. Um, I've been getting hit with this Google commercial. Um, The Google commercial is centered around like the idea of like businesses are opening back up again. Um, And like, you can kind of like change your hours or like see if there's take up, take out and delivery and like all these different features that Google's had Google ads. And the conceit of the commercial is that the song, you know, return of the Mac Mm -hmm. return of the Mac return of the Mac is playing yep. over and over again. Like that, that song is playing in like all these different businesses, like Max wings is opening up and changing its settings. And like uh, this black lady pops up and she's like on the screen. And like, it's like, she's doing like a, maybe a Facebook video or something. And she's like, we're open for business today. And then there's like Max ties and like Max gym or something like that. So it's a very boring commercial, but, um, it has, I have probably seen it 50 times in the last month. And when that happens, when that happens, especially because music is involved, like it just like you're getting, it's like Chinese water torture or something where like you're just being exposed to this tiny bit of audio over and over again. And you never remember, like when you open up a YouTube commercial, like you don't, you never really are ready for a commercial to pop up. You know what I mean? So like, I'm never, I don't, it's not like I'm like, all right, well, here comes the return of the Mac commercial. It just pops up. So it's like kind of like this nightmarish thing where it keeps popping up over and over again. So I'd like to say a lot of these Andrew's commercial corner segments as me making some sort of plea to a company. So I would like to say if Google is listening and I'm sure they are, this is one where I actually am sure they are listening. Cause I'm sure these big tech companies have a way of monitoring 
our every conversation. Google, I completely understand that you are very good for small businesses and showing their hours and showing the services they offer. Um, I appreciate you licensing a classic uh, G-Funk song and um, using it to get your point across. I get it. Um, you don't have to spend your advertising dollars on me anymore. You can, you can, based on Kevin's response to all this, I don't think he's seen the commercial. So maybe you can, maybe you can give Kevin some of that con. I mean, Kevin, I'm assuming you get, you get like you, based on your demographics, you get YouTube ads for things like the My Pillow, um, those <laughs> glasses that let you see, <laughs> those glasses that let you see in the dark, um, light alert. So, so maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you could target some different demographics, Google. I have seen the commercial that you were talking okay. about. It, it took okay. me a bit to like, under, like I had my computer in front of me, I pulled it up and I'm, I was like, yeah, I've seen this commercial. I guess I haven't like seen it enough. Because it's to, not like to... crazy. It's not like the yeah. Snoop Dogg commercial where it's insane. It's a very benign commercial. But the frequency which with it is it is popped into my life has been has been it has been ever prescient and and I'm ready for it to go away. My, my, my pillow zigger was one of my best zinger. I have to call yeah. some attention to it. That was one of yeah, my best. That was one of my best. Good. Kevin is old jokes in a while. Uh, what were so, you going to say? Your thing was no. My thing is is just like if you're the worst Mac out of all these things, like yeah max is correct is a 4.3 on google like mm. not 4.3 is not bad but it's nowhere yeah. near to be featured like on a commercial uh, for google. yeah that's a good point that's a it's good a point. gripe it's a gripe but 4.3 for a food place like i'm it's not like i'm out of get going especially out of normally to go there. no you're right you're right because normally especially with google like Google, it's usually like artificially high, and then you go to like Yelp to Yelp. see the real score. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you're right, Max Wings. Do you think Google was like really? They're like, I'm assuming they came up with the conceit for it first. They're like, all right, Return of the Mac, and it's a bunch of businesses that that have Mac in them. That's pretty good. And then they look it up, and they're like, fuck. None of these places are really that good. Like, I guess we'll just go with with the top three and and see what happens. Yeah, honest. So they they featured like five or six places. So they have two, three places that I would genuinely probably go to off the rating because they're a four point seven, a four point eight, and a four point seven. So those three I don't have yeah, that's really good. any that's gripes good. with. Yeah. The the max place that's featuring the sweet potato fries and the the avocado Cali burger kind of looking thing, a four point three. Mm, like, sorry, but maybe if they want to sponsor the podcast, I'd be on board to to being their spokesman. And then four point five max fit camp doesn't sound super appealing either. And then <laughs> Mr. Max Mr. Mac clothing at four point five. Not terrible, but I don't know if I'd be going to shop there. The four point three nah. to me seems a little like all right, like maybe we could have. I'm dicey. Yeah, yeah, it's like your Uber rating. But, yeah, yeah. I think so, they probably just needed a foot a, a food place, and I think them being able to get that video in the mix, they're like, all right, 
If not, we're gonna we need like five more seconds to pad out this commercial. We have this nice ladies video. We'll we'll take the hit and and just roll with it. Uh, yeah, totally agree with that. Um, so yeah, it's uh Andrew's commercial corner that is you know taking control. I've seen the commercial. It's kind of like whatever, but uh yeah, we'll I I'm curious to see what's on the next commercial corner i know now i have to keep my eyes peeled i think with football season with football season getting in the full swing we'll we'll be able to have some good content for this so so i'm excited the people i'm sure the people just are clamoring for especially they want this segment to be even longer i think next week we can maybe have this thing going for like 20 25 minutes or so honestly next week we could probably just talk about (laughs) like our positions on ads and commercials it'll be like the lakers are in the finals cool and then 40 (laughs) minutes of commercials we could just be ad men from, you know, back in the day, like Matt, you know, the mad men. Guys, it's funny. Uh, I just, you know. I just finished, I just finished up the Sopranos and I'm, I'm thinking about my next TV show. And I think my two major considerations are the wire and mad men. And maybe I now Ooh. have to go mad men just to, just to sharpen <laughs> up my advertising. Both skills. are gr- like mad men. Granted, I watched, um, a, decent amount of it and then I kind of stopped because I don't know it just kind of it's a slow build like Madden's a slow a great great show slow build and like I think you can appreciate it if you have the time and hopefully we'll have a lot more time post bar highly agree like you should go watch that. I, I would suggest watching both to be honest the wires like yeah one of my just a great yeah. Yeah, I think shows, I'm but... going to enjoy both. I will probably watch both at some point. It's just kind of a matter of like, do I want to pivot to the wire or do I want to stick with that kind of like anti-hero, dude-centered, you know, thing and go, and go Mad Men. I'll I'll keep you updated. Um, do we want to hit Bon Appetit real quick? We don't have to. I don't want to get too uh too political with it but um no no we can, or, let's get into it because like this is something that had been a had been such a like we could have probably met, like re like if bon appetit had been going for like throughout the pandemic we could have probably renamed the corner what's been your favorite bon appetit yeah. video over the past yeah. like week that you've I think watched we, because I we actually were think so we may have doomed we may have doomed bon appetit i think we doomed because i think we because did two versions of that segment and then it came like all this all this stuff came out which i think we have discussed i think the downfall of bon appetit we have discussed on on a different podcast but um yeah it, it we were kind of bringing it into the rotation and then um it kind of swiftly it had this moment of reckoning and then really dropped off the map like in fact i wondered so this new New York Times video came out featuring Solo Wally, who had kind of become our favorite um, Bon Appetit character, not character, but person, I guess, personality. or personality. personality. Yeah, yeah, personality. Yeah. So I want we this video would come out and we watch it and discuss it. But then I wondered if I think watching I hadn't watched a Bon Appetit video since pretty much it got canceled for better or for worse. And I wonder if watching the Sola video made a Bon Appetit video come up in my like recommendations. 
So one did, and it was this Chris Morocco video where he made Roy Choi's carne asada tacos, which like okay. it was definitely on the la- the point I'm trying to make is it was definitely on like the latter end of like their content. Like it wasn't a very old video on like their timeline. And do you know how many months ago it had come out? I don't know. Seven three, months. Two months. Oh so, my god. So, so like it's I'm not saying I'm sure other stuff came out, but it goes to show how long is it was we've discussed this in text, but like it was a pretty regular part. It was something that pretty much we were watching every day. And it goes to show that and it just the point I'm making is it like fell off the map so quickly and has been pretty much gone for for what seems like a while, at the very least a while in this incredibly fast moving world we live in. Yeah, it's been uh I think let me I'm I'm looking it up right now in terms of the last video that ended up coming out before um there was like this agreement, I guess, that the on air like talent three, wouldn't it looks like three months, months ago based on yeah. Three months ago, June fifth, twenty twenty. So that's not that's not as long as I thought but it just feels a lot longer with everything happening in the world right now um so it just kind of uh it when you sent me the the new york times with sola it really warmed my heart <laughs> because i had been missing i that was the wheel like that was the thing that i had been missing in my life just food content in general and uh bon appetit had filled that void in my heart for a long time before everything went to shit. So, um other than that, I guess like I have nothing else to say. Andrew, thanks for coming on to the pod. Like I didn't know if you wanted to get into the other stuff with like and maybe why don't people. we let it play out a little bit more and then we can come back with some takes. Well, we'll let it simmer and we'll see what ends up happening. So, ooh, nice Andrew, food pun there. Exactly. Andrew, thanks again for coming on. Obviously, we we don't really know how to keep it under an hour or an and a half. Like if our producer, if we actually had a real producer, they'd probably cut us off probably 45 <laughs> minutes ago. But Andrew, thanks again for coming on to the pod. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll see how these uh, these finals go. So thanks again. Yep.